Welcome to the Logically Faithful podcast. This podcast is created to point seekers towards the beautiful, the good and the true, and to act on what gives liberty, equality and justice for all. This podcast is created to give listeners a taste of the beautiful, cultivate an affection for the good and to provide rational path to the true, helping to bring justice, equality and liberty to our society. Your host is Khaldun Swice, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the City Colleges of Chicago and Tutor of Philosophy with Oxford University. Well, welcome back. This is Khaldun. Thanks for being with me. Uh, this particular uh, podcast is regarding the issue of science, and it comes from my longer lecture on the blind spots of science. What I'll be discussing here is what science is, the integration of science and religion, the problems those pose, and the issues in regard to that. Uh, so, uh, give it your attention and let me know what you think. If you enjoy these podcasts, I do appreciate some feedback in the uh, iTunes website. Go ahead and leave some there. Uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again. Let's get started. Well, good evening. Something radical happened to me when I was 16 years old. I was taking a science class in uh, Argo Community High School. My teacher, Miss Moon, uh, was getting in the unit on evolution. And with the unit on evolution, we began to discuss issues about chance and minor and minor and major variations within the genetic drift. And then she mentioned the words animal and chance. She said, all of us are animals and we come here by uh, from a universal common ancestor by chance. Uh, those words, and there were a lot of nuances to them, threw me off. It, it took my 16-year-old brain a lot to process this information. And I, it was difficult for me at the time. Uh, but those words did transform my life. She was saying in so many words how we, human beings, like any other forms of life, have developed from unicellular life by such mechanisms as natural selection, universal genetic drift, working on various sources within the mutations, and um, eliminating uh, resources within the organisms that were not able to uh, generate life, and of course, generating those that would. All these mechanisms fit together via natural selection to produce all the contemporary life that we know of today. Again, from a universal common ancestor by random chance. We are all animals. We are all animals, by chance, by chance. So the word just kind of ricocheted off of the inner being of my soul. I couldn't get it out of my head. I approached her out of class, after class and I said, Miss Moon, how could you call us animals? How could you say I'm nothing more than like a mosquito or a dog? What are you doing? Uh, she took me aside and said, calm down, calm down, come here. Uh, have you read Charles Darwin? I said, Charles who? And she gave me uh, literature on it, and the literature did literally transform my views of science and education. So I began to read Charles, and I found out she was right, to a point, because I did something dangerous. I read The Other Side. I read, period, which was dangerous at the time for me anyway. Uh, even dangerous for anyone to read and read The Other Side. And I found out that, yes, there's a lot of truth to what Darwin is saying, but there's so much more to it. We are not just animals. We're profoundly more than that. We're intricate beings that are special and sacred. And this led me on a search in science that has been transformative, to say the least. This particular talk, what I'll do is I'll give you uh, the 10 major issues of science that cannot 
necessarily be grasped scientifically. And then I'll open up for some Q&A, some discussion, and we'll get ready on that part. Are we ready? Okay, let's get going. Science is wonderful. This is not a talk about bashing science, uh, as one of my colleagues said I'm going to be doing. Not necessarily. Science is remarkable. Without science, I would not be here. Uh, my kidney stones would not have been eliminated. My, I would not be walking without the scientific experiments within medical technology today uh, on my foot, because I was at the podiatrist. And I'll tell you about that later. Uh, science has produced many things, such as the light bulb, the telephone, the printing press, the personal automobile, where would we be without those? Of course, we have the CTA. The camera, the television, the airplane, the personal computer, the internet, ouch. And of course, the iPhone, come on. What's life without the iPhone? And in the beginning of the 20th century, life expectancy was about 40 years old. Today, the average lifespan is about 70 years old. This is due to modern advances in uh, antibiotic formation, as well as medical technology that helps eliminate variations within our, uh, uh, our genes that help continue to flourish our lives. Uh, so you have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be thankful for for science. However, the question is, if you have a lot to be thankful for, who are you thanking? G.K. Chesterton said, if my children wake up on Christmas morning, to have someone to thank for putting cotton candy in their stockings. Who do I thank for putting two feet in mine? Let's begin by asking, what is science? What is this? It's not an easy question to answer. I found in my career that the easy things to answer, like love or justice, actually become more difficult. But the more difficult things, like for example, how fast does a 747 jet travel, or the square root of 750,000, the distance from Earth to the sun, become easy once you have the proper instrumentation and measurements. So according to the American Heritage Science Dictionary, science is the investigation of natural phenomena through the observation of theoretical explanations, experimentations, or the knowledge produced by such investigations. So science then is a study of the natural world. It includes things like atoms, plants, ecosystems, people, societies, as well as natural forces in working on those things. Of course, it goes without saying, the people in the highest echelons of society, in the academia, in the ivory towers, determine what science is at the current time. It takes something like a revolution to change that, a minority group to stand up and um, uh, show the majority that it's been wrong, as Copernicus did or Darwin or others. However, the vast majority of the time I find that minorities in science are wrong. That's why they're set to the fringe and called fringe science or uh, extremists or whatever it is, because the majority of them are. But every now and then you have one or two that revolutionize the entire system. So with that said, the scientific method of science is by far the best way of studying the natural world. By far, there's nothing better and it's got us way beyond what, we, what our ancestors have been. Contrary to popular opinion, there is no dichotomy between science and religion. Uh, this warfare thesis between science and religion, especially between the Christian religion, is a myth of gigantic proportions. No one deserves more blame or credit for this stubborn myth than Andrew, excuse me, Alfred Dickerson White, and of course, William Draper uh, from the University of New York. 
they wrote books, for example, the, the two listed on the, the, that you saw earlier. We'll move back uh, one. These two books that you see listed. One back. Religion and Science, and the other one called uh, History of the Warfare Thesis Between Science and Theology in Christendom, two volume sets, uh, that came out in the, in the tail end of the 19th century, revolutionized how people think about science. And it's gone down as a myth within all common culture, that there's a uh, dichotomy between science and religion. That's not necessarily the case, but this myth has progressed. Kind of like the myth that you only use 10% of your brain, that's a myth, but it does make good movies, isn't it? Um, the myth that the vast majority of people in history have believed that the earth was flat, again, a myth. No educated person in the history of the world has believed the earth was flat. There's a lot of myths out there that people continue to believe. One of the major ones is that there's a dichotomy between science and religion. The Pew Research Organization says that eight in, nine, uh, eight in 10 Americans, that's 83%, say they believe in God, while 12% say they believe in some kind of universal spirit or higher power. The polls of scientists finds that four in 10 scientists, that's 41%, say they do not believe in God or higher power. While the polls of the public finds that 4% of Americans share this view. Thus scientists in general have a lesser belief in God than the general population. So it's easy for our skeptical friends to conclude that it's science itself that makes these people disbelieve. Not so fast. A more detailed study of these people and of the situation finds that it's not the case. What you actually find is something else. It's people who are skeptical in the first place are the ones who go into science, not after going into science to become skeptical. According to the Higher Education Research Institute of the University of California, students tend to become more religiously skeptical during college if they engage in a good deal of partying. Be careful, guys watch a lot of television, participate in study abroad programs, although I wonder what that one had to do with it, and if their parents had to do with the separation or divorce. Religious skepticism also tends to increase if students attend a college where the student, liberal, uh, student body is highly liberal. So students' degree of religious skepticism is likely to decline if they pray frequently, attend religious services, or join a religious campus organization. So do not believe the myth that science creates unbelief. Rather, it is unbelief that leads many into science. So because of this gigantic myth, the myth that science and religion are polar opposites, you have the vast majority of people and the scientists uh, not believing in some kind of spiritual realm or just a higher power. Uh, what about Darwin himself? Why did Darwin become so skeptical? Was it because he investigated uh, the animals in the Galapagos Island and found so much uh, detailed evidence for evolution that he discounted his belief in God? Again, not so fast. Again, we have to do something dangerous called read. In his book, Darwin and His Daughter, Darwin, His Daughter and Human Evolution by Randall Kenyon, 2002, he argued that the reason Darwin lost his faith, one of the primary reasons is because he lost his daughter. Her name was Annie. She was at the tender age of 10 in 1851. That led him on a trajectory toward unbelief, not studying the sciences. Because the vast majority of people who are in the sciences who moved the sciences along, such as Newton, Kepler, Galileo, and others were committed believers. It did not damage or uh, affect their faith in God at all. It actually increased it in the wonder and amazement of the world. 
The problem is naturalism, per se, or materialism in science. It has held many hostage in its ideological cage. Ladies and gentlemen, naturalism is the strongest force for the legitimate expression of research in the academia in the Western world today. I am constantly tripping over naturalists at the college where I work. They're all over the place. Um, or some of them are still in the closet. Uh, they're trying to come out. Uh, many of my students and many people are sublimely affected or sublimely uh, caught up into this um, methodology. Now, what is science? Oh, excuse me, uh, naturalism. There is no uniform agreement, but naturalism, if I were to summarize it, would be a belief or research paradigm that excludes any theological or teleological explanation for the elucidation of uh, phenomena in the universe. It assumes that the best explanations are those that come from the hard sciences. Everything else is illusionary or just poetry. Or a mystery waiting to be solved, of course. So is naturalism unscientific? The belief that only the physical is real? I believe it is, and it's paradoxical as well. To restrict things like the empirical search for other things that are beyond the realm of science is unscientific. It actually puts a straitjacket upon people and saying you can't search this out because this is not scientific. Um, and that's not uh, scientific to, for us to do that to people. I argue that science has been hijacked by naturalistic people who hide behind the aura of science and say it is science. It's a dogmatic isolation into a scientific enterprise that puts its walls up and doesn't allow anybody in its doors. Let me give you an example. Uh, back in the 20s, you have the um, people who were trying to uh, get evolution taught in the public schools. You guys heard of the monkey trial? Monkey trial? Well, the people who were elite at the time, who were the religious elite, were not allowing evolution to be taught in their schools. And it took some kind of court cases and other mood, movement in the media to get that done. Now the tide has shifted. When people try to teach creation in the public schools, which it does have its problems right there, but anyway, the point is, when they try to teach that, you have people in, them, in the elite areas of, of uh, academia not allowing them to do it. Do you see how the tide has shifts, shifted? And I think that shifts with whoever is in power at the time. So dogmatically assigning people outside of the realm of, of science merely because we don't agree with their ideology is not scientific per se. I recommend a great book by Alvin Plantinga. It's called Where the Conflict Lies, called Science, Religion, and Naturalism. And Plantinga, a University of Notre Dame professor, argues that the, the conflict between science and religion is not there. The conflict is between science and naturalism, or materialism. Great, great literature if you're interested in pursuing that further. So last night, I, um, I have two little ones, two hobbits. They're six and seven. And uh, usually we read a bedtime story together. So last night I picked up the Berenstain Bears. Has anybody ever read this great literature? Yeah, okay. So we're reading the Berenstain Bears and we picked up this particular one when we were reading it. And uh, something jumped out at me and said, hey, this is for my lecture tomorrow. Providentially for my lecture tomorrow. And here's what uh, the, the bears, which is brother and sister bear, end up meeting the atheist bear. And the atheist bear says to them, uh, they have a conversation with him, and Freddie, the atheist bear, says the following, I don't believe God created this world. In fact, I don't believe in God at all. You don't believe in God, said brother? Surprised. No, said Freddie. In fact, I believe in science, in things you can see, test, and prove. This led the little bears into an investigation to start researching their own faith, which is good for my kids and the little bears. And this 
talk is for bears who believe what Freddy did. That only you can test what you can see, what you can hear is actually real. This talk is for those bears. Welcome back. I'll be airing the rest of this show in the next podcast, which will include the 10 blind spots of science, where I honor science and talk about its wonderful contributions, but at the same time, talk about its limitations. And that will be coming up soon. If you enjoyed this podcast, once again, please do leave some feedback on the iTunes uh, website. Thanks much. Go and make the world a better place.